Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bin in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Good morning, Bob. Welcome to the month of February. First of February today as we're getting closer and closer to growing season. We are. It doesn't feel like it. I just came in from outside. <laughs> it uh, feels like we still got winter amongst us, that's for sure, Dave. Yeah, we got uh, windy conditions. Wind chill advisory will be in effect tonight into tomorrow morning. Uh, actual temperatures down around 15 below by morning. Wind chills around 30 below. So it'll be just like winter again. Just like winter. And, yeah. of course, uh, with all the other difficulties in the world, I don't think I'm going to complain. You know, it's kind of nice in the upper Midwest <laughs> like this. We're just kind of isolated from a lot of different things. Uh, yeah. You know, I was looking, and I track all the longer-range forecasts, and mm-hmm. boy, are they predicting hot and dry in the uh, in the southwest and Pacific northwest. We might have something uh, similar to or repeat from last year when, uh, of course, we were a little short on on moisture, mm-hmm. but uh, we didn't have the extreme heat that they're they're getting other places. But looking out later into the summer and the growing season, I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, we get kind of a repeat of last year. A lot of hot, dry conditions in other parts of the uh, North American continent, even up into Canada. We're familiar with the forest fire situation and so forth. It looks like they're predicting those types of hot, dry conditions again. So we're going to be very fortunate, I think, to be uh, growing and gardening here in the Midwest. Yeah, no complaint from me if it's like last year. It was pretty nice, uh, except for, like you mentioned, some dry spells. It was nice. Uh, it was a little tough uh, mm-hmm. for our dryland farmers, uh, myself included. Uh, we could have used a little bit more moisture during the growing season, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, uh, we won't complain. Uh, it was very comfortable. You know, like I say, if uh, if your mission is light in life is just uh, comfort and working on your can, I think it was the perfect summer. <laughs> there you go. I like that idea. <laughs> and I think we we can probably anticipate uh, some good things coming forward. You know, I'd mentioned it in the past. It's it's very intriguing to me. I know this gardening thing is going to continue to roll because the catalogs as they come in, they're thicker, they're more colorful. <laughs> Having done some print work myself, I know how expensive they are to print and mail, and yet they're not hesitating. Uh, that industry continues to go. A lot of seed availability. And uh, the other thing that I've noticed, so I think they're they're tuned into the market. We're going to have a bigger growing season. But uh, they're all featuring warm season crops in their covers. So we're seeing lots of tomatoes, lots of peppers, lots of eggplant and things. Uh, we used to have a little bit more diversity, but I think they're kind of gearing up for the fact we had a hot season last year and we probably have a warm season coming up again this year, Dave. Makes sense. I imagine they follow the forecast pretty closely as well. Oh, they do. Uh, I'm always amazed how sophisticated uh, some folks are. I wouldn't put myself in that category, mm-hmm. but they they watch a lot of stuff, and of course there's a lot of data analysis going on right now, and we can see that even in the football season, can't we? <laughs> they pull up a lot of data pretty quickly. Are there and, any, uh, uh, any supply issues in uh, seeds this year? Uh, you know, none, none that I'm aware of. There's okay. always going to be, you know, there's always going to be limited... Uh, Availability of some varieties. There can be crop failures. Our major agronomic crops, when I look at that, uh, you know, the industry, I'm a big proponent, of course, of local, and I like to stay as close to home as we possibly can, but I know that we've got multinational companies that are producing the seed for our major 
agronomic crops, soybeans, corn, and so forth, as well as a lot of our vegetable crops. And when they have a crop failure, a lot of that production is in the uh, Pacific Northwest Idaho, where the irrigate hot and dry makes ideal conditions for uh, growing seed and ultimately harvesting seed. You want the moisture out of there. So typically a lot of those seed production areas are areas where it's warm and where they're supplying irrigation water so they don't have a problem with uh, moisture content in the seed. But if they have a crop failure in the northern hemisphere, in many cases, they'll immediately switch down and enhance production in uh, South America, as an example, and they get that seed crop in just in about in time. They harvest down there in their fall and bring it north here and just about when we have to plant. So in many ways, uh, we're really uh, pretty fortunate that way, so we really don't experience uh, limitation. There are always going to be some seeds, some varieties that become very, very popular uh, that uh, maybe you can't get your hands on. So ordering early, early again, I guess, is, is the byword, and I don't have all my orders in yet, but some in, but we're going to have to pay attention. You know, we do this program, Dave, and I always make notes to myself because advice <laughs> is cheap, and I've got to follow some of my own advice, I think, here. Yeah, interesting to note that this is growing season in the Southern Hemisphere. I wonder how things are going down there. Boy, it's a good question. It definitely is. Uh, they're right in, uh, you know, they're right in mid-season there, and they're they're going strong. So uh, I don't know. I don't track. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard any closely. big drought problems down there, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I know that. Uh, looks like we're going to have some attention. So I'm probably going to be gearing some of our information and educational things toward water management and. Uh, Actually, if you have the moisture warm conditions, we saw that last year where we had moisture, we had irrigation out, trickle irrigation, other things, uh, the crops grew extremely well. So it great pepper crops, tomato crops, uh, some melons as well. And, you know, we're going to probably take a look at uh, sweet potatoes and other crops, which I've always played with over the years and always been a little disappointed in the outcomes. The yields were always limited and I, I would struggle with late frosts and other things and, uh, this far north, but I think we're probably going to take a little closer look at some of those warm season crops. I'm I'm quite intrigued by some of the melons that are being introduced yeah. now too. That are a little shorter season. I think cantaloupe and and um, watermelon certainly could be viable crops for us. So I think it's going to be a good year. It's going to be very interesting. The forecasts are for <laughs> you know average temperatures, but a little moisture during the early part of our growing season here. Which is, uh, which is great. So we get things off and growing. Uh, seed germination is always a big issue if you don't have adequate moisture in the early part of the season when you're seeding. Again, a little disappointing to see some of the projections are getting warmer and drier coming into the growing season. So I think we're going to have to be uh, a little cognizant of the fact we're probably going to have to supply some additional moisture coming into the uh, latter part of the season and when we come into harvest time, Dave. Yeah, warmer season crops, uh, you could certainly try them, but I don't think we'll be able to grow oranges up this far north yet. <laughs> That's the ultimate. The oranges and bananas, I think, are going to be a challenge. <laughs> and I think it's a good thing. I wouldn't want to be able to grow oranges. We we know we'd have climate change if that were to occur. Yeah, from what I understand, they're having some serious difficulties down in Florida with cold weather freezing out the orange crop. Yeah, isn't that something? And. uh I actually come from a of a family that migrated mm. south, and we're orange growers in Florida. Yeah. And I can remember as a young young man putting out smudge pots and struggling with frosts and so forth. So I know uh, the difficulty that a uh, early frost like that can really have for them. So, and the price of citrus, you know, obviously reflects that when there's limited availability. Oh, yeah. But uh, your orange juice right, will be it, much more expensive here as we go along. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting as we, uh, you know, get concerned about warmer temperatures. Uh, you know, we've had uh, plenty of cold weather, and we got a spell coming up here to endure as well, don't we, Dave? Yeah, uh, that's going to be nasty again for a couple of days. I guess we could start thinking about indoor planting already, can't we, or pretty soon? Yeah, pretty soon. I think, the, you know, there's some of the uh, annual flowers I think we can get started ah. with. We're a little early on the vegetable crop. Oh, okay. If people are going to try one thing or another, they're, they're typically they'll try some tomatoes, and we're really, <laughs> we're really early. They'll get off early in March. The problem is we can get them germinated, but then they get long and leggy, and you have oh. to say, well, you're going to have to transplant a couple of times. Do I have adequate light? Do I have a greenhouse or a good artificial lighting system so that I can let them allow them to continue to grow until we get to our frost-free growing season? That's that's the biggest issue. So I caution people there a little bit. Uh, if you like to grow your own onion varieties, and there are a few that I really like and like to grow out from seed, we'll start those about March 1st. That's probably All the right. earliest. Onions and leeks, uh, very early. They grow very slowly. Uh, they do, um, you know, they, they don't require a lot of moisture. They do, you know, they're one of the few crops. And I get asked this question the other day, uh, starting from seed. And uh, I'll just mention, I, I believe I was contacted by... Uh, Northern Wilds, uh, one of the publications that's available out there, they're going to do a, a segment on uh, starting from seed. I supplied them with a little information, but they asked about lighting. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. A lot of seed does require light. Uh, some could go one way or another. Others, seed does require darker conditions. And onion seed is the one that comes to my mind that really likes it dark to get germinated. But most of them really want uh, want some light, I think, uh if you're going to start some lettuce or if you want to try starting some carrots uh, from seed, uh, these really do require light. And many of these smaller seed varieties, when we plant them outside, they're in where our planting depths are going to be a quarter of an inch. The light does penetrate down hmm. natural daylight, so it does enable these, this seed to germinate. But uh, as a rule of thumb, uh, a lighting mechanism is uh, if you're going to be starting uh, even the seed itself, you want to have some kind of either artificial light available or very good uh, sunny southern window available, Dave. Well, we are getting longer days, but not quite that long enough yet. I, pay, I take it. No, we're, we don't want to. We don't want to run this jump the season here because we're <laughs> long ways. And you know, we had uh, this peculiar time last year that's so vivid in my mind, at least, where we didn't have frost the end of May, about May 20, and someone can refresh my memory, 22nd, 24th, 26th, something like that, toward the tail end of May there. Uh, we had extremely cold temperature wet areas in St. Louis County where it was 19 degrees, and uh, that freezes up just about everything. Some of the, the uh, trees had leafed out at that point, and it dropped their leaves. Uh, it was so cold. So that was very unusual. Year before that, I remember where we had the, the frost on uh, the evening of June 11th, which surprised me. That was pretty devastating as well. So we got to follow short-term forecasts. I don't think we want to run in too early. We might want to plant a little extra seed just in the event. If you do want to push the season, you want to be sure that you've got uh, maybe a little bit of extra plants in reserve so you can replace them if need be, Dave. I'm sure uh, gardeners are getting itchy to get going, that's for sure. But patience, patience, patience. Yeah, patience. In this case, I think it's uh, that's well advised, Dave. All right, let's take a break, and we'll be back. Uh, the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Good morning. All right, Bob, how's your Christmas tree doing outside? The birds find the popcorn and get rid of it yet? Yeah, they have, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks pretty barren right at the moment. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, like I say, multi-purpose, like to use it inside, Very like good. to use it outside. All we right. got, uh, got that going. 
Hey, you know, Dave, I was kind of intrigued by, uh, we're well aware, of course, of what we're going through with the pandemic. Hopefully, uh, we're we're just about over this and get back to a little bit more normal life. But, uh, you know, a lot of interest in the immune system, and this is intriguing. Uh, you know, of course, some people seem to have super immune systems and manage to get through a lot of these things, and others just struggle with it. But, uh, you know, the Harvard School of uh, Public Health has got kind of an interesting website up there, and I've followed some of the work that's done out at Harvard's medical school out there. And they talk about uh, the immune system and nutrition in the immune system, which has kind of intrigued me, really. And uh took a little look at that because I think uh, there are many, many benefits that come with uh, doing gardening, particularly if you're going to do some of your uh, edible gardening and eat, eat your, and harvest and, and uh, eat some of your own product there um, can certainly enhance things. They tend to be pretty factual, and they list a number of things. And these, I guess, are not at all unusual, but uh, if anyone wants to just check that out and really has that as an interest, uh, you can just Google um, Harvard Medical School, uh, or I guess I Googled uh, Diet and uh, sure. Immune System, Harvard Medical School, and they give you a number of uh, rather interesting things, and of course, uh, good balanced diet, exercise, sleep, lower your stress levels, these are things that I guess are not too unusual. The one thing, uh, you know, that are strong advocates in the area of nutrition is not uh, to be swept away by uh, miracle uh, vitamin formulas and other things like that. Um, we're well aware this far north that we can have vitamin D deficiency, and that's uh, pretty well known at this point, so we all got to be a little conscious of that if we're yeah. vulnerable there. But uh, they go back to um, uh, the need for uh, a quality, balanced diet, and um, nutrition is quite complex. Uh, the things that we eat, other than a lot of processed food, because can be an awful lot of uh, oriented toward sugar and salt and fat and other things. But um, natural diet is really quite complex, and they're big advocates of uh, getting more vegetables into the diet and then consuming more on a regular basis and can be significant in terms of enhancing um, the immune system. So that's an area there that I think um, gardening certainly can help out with. The other thing I think um, maybe lowering stress levels. It's real interesting that uh, there's something really soothing about getting out in the garden, planting some things. Uh, there, there's uh, some kind of a psychological effect that comes from this whole thing and it may be as significant as just the edibles that we're consuming, just being involved in that whole process. And we're doing uh, some work within some of our assisted living facilities where we're trying to People that are struggling, uh, trying to encourage the development of uh, of indoor house plants and so forth, and just the uh, the benefit that comes along from uh, growing things. I was contacted by a young man that um, sadly had a stroke at a relatively young age, 40s, and uh, he had an interest in uh, in gardening. And I'm going to follow through with him and, and try to get kind of a uh, a remedial program ahead because he's got some struggles ahead in his life, and uh, we're going to get him involved in a good gardening project here. So I think that uh, we take a look at this. I think it's more than just uh, more than just a hobby, Dave. There's an mm-hmm. awful lot of real good things that can come from uh, what is, of course, the number one hobby in the country, and that's uh, that's gardening. Yeah, I can see where it would be soothing out in the garden on a, on a nice day, just kind of enjoying it. And Well, I suppose it would be frustrating doing all the weeding, but there's other things to go involved, too. Well, I go back again. When you look, if you're not overwhelmed by the weeding, and yeah. I've had my share of weeds to be overwhelmed by, but uh, if you can just kind of stay on top of them, right. I, I go back to an image. I had a good friend who was an iron worker, 
a very competent individual foreman on many projects, and he would come home at the end of a kind of a stressful day, and uh, he would just sit there and pick weeds out of his garden. He said, it's one of the most relaxing things I could do. <laughs> so, so that, uh, I have this image of this huge man with, yeah. you know, arms as big as my legs, and uh, he's sitting on a little stool picking these weeds out between his uh is carrots. <laughs> well, like you said, as long as they're manageable, if you're if you got more plants than weeds, I guess you're in good shape. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> absolutely right. But um, the smaller amounts that you can handle, I think we don't want. Uh, we certainly don't want uh, something that should help alleviate stress, like a garden. We don't want it to become a stressor for right. you. So I think. Uh, and I'm always advised this: less is probably more, and we always uh, like to grow a lot of stuff. So there's. Uh, always have a little bit too much out there and i'm always intrigued you know Dave. there's so many new varieties out there get a chance here we can talk and talk about some of the new varieties that I, i'm just going to have to try so you keep adding a few more every year and all of a sudden you got maybe a, a little bit more than you can uh, adequately manage but it's part of the fun anyway i know there's lots of food fads too all of a sudden i'm hearing a lot about pickle juice and how you're supposed to be drinking pickle juice are you kidding me and they actually now have uh, just jars of pickle juice. No pickles involved. And you see, that's why I listen to your program. <laughs> I wasn't even aware of that, Dave, because yeah. you're on top of all these things. Unbelievable. Well, i got plenty of pickle juice in amongst my pickles, so if it's good for you, that's great. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that one thing that uh, has come to my attention uh, recently. Uh, we talk about vitamin supplementation. Mm-hmm. is maybe the benefits of some fermented uh, food, sauerkraut, uh, yeah. anyone having a German heritage, of course, big part of their diet. We had uh, naturally, as we evolved, uh, we had a lot of fermented foods because that's the way they were preserved. Mm-hmm. And in fermented food, there's a vitamin K2, which is, I guess, uh, a part of, um, you know, releasing calcium and preventing calcium buildups and vessels and other things. And so now there's some research being done that way. And they said, we never struggled with this because fermented foods were a big part of our diet and of course kimchi and some of the Asian cultures, Korean cultures uh, have always had this as a part of their diet and um, with refrigeration and other food preservation canning and so forth, uh, fermentation and fermented products a very minor part I think of the American diet, that's my perception at least so that's something that's kind of intrigued me that there's uh, yeah. there's benefit in that uh, sauerkraut, uh, some people don't uh, can't appreciate it if you haven't made your own kraut. That's a big difference what you're going to buy uh, in the store in the jar or the can, but uh, can be very very uh, good and apparently good for you. The cabbage family, all the vitamins there, but now this uh, vitamin K2 that comes with fermented food. So I think balanced diet is the rule of thumb, and just trying to. Uh, walk away from some of the more processed food and get back some of the more natural food. So I think we're going to see more and more and more of that interest uh, going forward, Dave. Yeah, if you're going to watch your salt intake, you might not want to drink pickle juice. I would guess there's a whole lot of sodium in that. but I would guess so, too. Same thing with sauerkraut. So, there you go. So you, yeah, you probably got to watch all of that. But a little bit of everything, I think, is, is significant. All right, Bob, uh, let's take a uh, news break, and we'll be back with more of the Bob Olin Show coming up. All right, Bob, for uh, the 1st of February. Good to see the uh, days are getting longer, but as you mentioned, we might need some artificial light on some of those plants that you want to start early. And I notice there are so many different kinds of artificial light. Does it really matter what color your light is? Well, that's a real good question. And once again, in a free enterprise (laughs) society, there's always somebody going to try to sell you something. Uh, Some of the grow lights, of course, emphasize certain parts of the spectrum. Hmm. And... uh, 
my advice for most folks, if you're just starting your tomatoes and starting your peppers and, yeah. and other things, is just stick with the fluorescent tubes. Good. Or now some of the LED tubes as well, which are going to take a little bit less electricity. Try to get as much of the full spectrum as you can. So that might mean a cool white light, uh, maybe two cool white lights uh, for every one warmer pink light. And I think uh, that's going to do the job for you. It pretty well covers the spectrum. Now, where the grow lights are can be extremely beneficial if you really want to uh, get uh, certain crops to flower for you. I think uh, in that case, uh, where you're looking at um, uh, any number of indoor plants, that typically the reason many of these don't flower is they don't have uh, enough light or the right amount of light. So I think that's a place where investing in, if you're really a connoisseur of uh, flowering plants, I think mm-hmm. investing in some of the grow lights can be beneficial. But from a cost-effective standpoint, I think just sticking with the uh, fluorescents or LEDs that cover as much of the spectrum as possible and not uh, overcomplicating the whole situation, Dave. Yeah, I notice that most of them come, what, soft white and now daylight, whatever daylight is. Yeah, I think daylight's a little bit more of the full spectrum. We okay. do want to we, we would want to pick up as much of that, um, the red portion of the spectrum, the infrared portion. So the cool whites, they emphasize the uh, the other uh, portion uh, on the other end of the spectrum, The, uh, the, the I believe it's the uh, uh, bluish portion. Okay. We want some of the red uh, portion of the spectrum. So I think uh, daylight, I think, is a good option for folks as well. Okay. You know, it's kind of interesting. I did get asked a question and rattled through my mind a bit here. Uh, you know, what really is critical if you're going to be starting seed? I think getting ready to go, I think it's probably a good thing right now. And uh, getting good viable seed, I think, and I've mentioned this many times, I, I don't like to, um, uh, I don't want to be too conscious of uh, trying to save pennies on poor quality seed or seed you can store a lot of seed two three years but you've got to make sure that you've got storage conditions that are right moisture is the enemy of course cooler temperatures they can survive in but uh, storing seed if you are going to store seed uh, you want to have some kind of a chamber even even if it's a, a glass canning jar that you can put a pillow pack of dried milk in or uh, silica gel which pulls some of the moisture out so we really want uh, cooler conditions, and if you've got space in the fridge, you can put them there, or even out in the garage. But getting that, getting that uh, humidity out of there with some kind of a desiccant inside—that's uh, the best way to store. If you got real high humidity, you don't know where you stored the seed from last year. Uh, if there's any possibility, then you're going to lose some of the germination percentage. We call it the viability. So the big thing: start with fresh seed. And when you look at um, the value of the product at the other end, you know people say, "Oh my gosh, my seed bill is high." But uh, what are and you well, let's call it organically grown? You can grow these things organically, and that's going to be some of the highest priced product out there. And, and the value of uh, a few peppers, few tomatoes can be very high, and it, it compensates for what your seed cost might be pretty quickly. So, Dave, you know, we got, I mentioned the fact that we've got uh, new introductions, and we're seeing a lot of the warm season crops that are being selected both in our catalogs and by, uh, you know, we've got this all American nonprofit out there that evaluates a lot of the new introductions. And I mentioned the fact, Grand Rapids, we've got a display garden over there, and they uh, they take notes on that. It's not quite as rigorous as the actual trial gardens, and I don't think we have an actual trial garden in Minnesota or in Wisconsin, but uh, we do have display gardens, which are great. And uh, this organization highlights uh, both vegetables and flowers, and they can regionalize it, but it's it's kind of a national organization. 
And I noticed again, and they're all American selections. Again, we've got two peppers in there, one which is very intriguing to me. You know, I'm doing some work on uh, trying to ripen peppers. Uh, when you take a look at a, a high-quality colored roasting pepper, very, very high value. I mean, they're a dollar, dollar fifty a, a piece, and they've been hard and a challenge for us to grow. So we're looking at varieties, looking at different cultural techniques. Last year was a great pepper year. We were very successful ripening a lot of these peppers, but I think that might have been the outlying year. Not so sure. It looks like we're going to have it hot and dry again, and we can talk a little bit more of what we may have learned from last year, and we're well aware that moisture is going to be a critical issue. Uniform moisture is going to be important. But uh, it's kind of interesting. We did have a couple new introductions. We're seeing introductions in hot peppers. And we look, we stayed, you know, we've got, uh, for the most part, uh, Scandinavian uh, ancestry here. And the hot peppers don't go over real big here. But more and more people are are uh, developing a taste for those. And I noticed nationwide that we're looking at more and more hot peppers. we got one called Buffy that was an all-American selection. We might give that a try. But the one that kind of intrigued me in the pepper all-American peppers was one called Dragonfly, which is a purple. And we looked at a number of purples, and uh, people that have grown these up may be familiar with Islander, Lilo, uh, Purple Beauty. Those are the three that we had in our trial. And the thing that we found very intriguing is, uh, you know, you go from the green state into the purple state, but purple is still immature, and the mature pepper actually turns either dark uh, dark uh, black almost, or it turns uh, even into a red. So we didn't uh, retain that purple color to full maturity, and that was kind of an interesting situation. I was not aware of that. I thought I thought purple was a mature color for some of these varieties, but uh, of course uh, we never quite got them to maturity except last year, and we find that they actually they go on from purple. And you want the quality, you want the um, uh, the texture and the flavors that come from a mature and the sugar content that comes from a mature pepper. But we got a new one out called Dragonfly, which... Uh, Again, it's a purple variety, and, and they claim that it retains that purple color right through maturity. So that's one that I'm going to have to try if I can find some seed this year and give that a go, because I do think that uh, there's a lot of interest. People are roasting a lot of uh, crops, and there's a lot of interesting interest in getting uh, colored peppers in your salads. And again, you get the high vitamin C content. Don't think people are aware of this, but there's uh, pound for pound, ounce for ounce, there's more vitamin C in uh, pepper than there is in orange. Wow. So uh, you mentioned the fact that we haven't warmed up to the point we're growing oranges here. We're not, <laughs> but we could grow some of these mature peppers and get this vitamin C, which is one of those nutrients that's uh, important in a good balanced diet. So, well, you can take a bite out of an orange, but it's tough to take a bite out of a pepper. <laughs> Well, Especially I, the hot you, ones, yeah. The hot ones, you don't want to take too much of a, of a bite there, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> mention some of these uh, milder sweet peppers. Yeah. Um, when they get mature out of salad raw and so forth, they're, they're very delicious and delectable. We've got some varieties there. So that's the thing about things warming up a little bit. And you know, it's not just the extreme warm temperatures during the day, but it's this 24-hour cycle it becomes so important and we are seeing warmer nights we did well, fortunately we haven't seen those real intense hot temperatures but we are seeing warmer evening temperatures and it's that entire cycle over a 24-hour period that's really important to to maturity and getting in the sugar content that we really want out of some of these warm season crops Steve. all right bob we'll take another break and then i want to find out just what organic means we'll find out with bob as we come back 949 now at kdaf 
And we're back with Bob Olin Show. Bob, when I go to the grocery store, I find the uh, regular vegetables, then I see the organic vegetables, which are always higher priced. What in, uh, exactly is organic? And how do you become organic, I guess? Yeah, Dave, I think um, that's a critical issue. You know, if we go back to the actual chemical definition, mm-hmm. anything that contains carbon is technically an organic compound. Ah. So that would be all things basically <laughs> right. that are alive contain carbon, but also some nasty synthetic things contain carbon, like DDT and dialdrin and some of these nasty pesticides we want to get rid of. Mm. So this is where all the confusion came about, um, and uh, this is where the U.S. Department of Agriculture has now got a certification program where there's a list of compounds, a way these products can be grown, so you eliminate all of these nasty organic uh, pesticides, and you can only, you're only allowed to certain, use certain types of material, and you be certified and so forth. So we have some standards there and some protections there. So uh, there's an organic certification process in the United States um, uh, and in most Western developed countries, but that doesn't necessarily apply throughout the world. And, no. and people can still use that term organic, but... Uh, we have some protections for the consumer here. So really, basically, there's a list of things that can be used as inputs. You're going to be eliminating the synthetic pesticides. You're going to be eliminating uh, a lot of the synthetic fertilizers. You're going to be using natural components. Uh, and But you still are allowed to use some inorganic and some materials that... Uh, um, that you might be a little surprised that are on the permitted list of materials <laughs> and inputs that can go in. So, um, you know, it gives you some kind of protection, and uh, it goes back to, uh, you know, perception versus reality and what mm-hmm. the term organic really really does mean. So there's some protection there. So, you know, as a grower, uh, you don't, you're not going to go through that. Uh, the gardener is going to go through right. the expense and the time of a certification process. But, you know, you just eliminate the pesticides. uh you pick the potato bugs off if you can, and and you uh, pull the weeds by hand and so forth, and uh, you basically got an organic product there, and, and it has uh, additional value. So that's one thing that we've seen, Dave, that's changed. The other thing is this discussion of heirlooms, and I, I find that to be very, very interesting because at one time, you know, heirlooms are older, what we call open-pollinated uh, crops, where the pollen gets transferred naturally by the wind and the insects. We're not crossing one parent with another, and that's a hybrid. But actually, hybridization goes back a long, long ways, um, human hybridization, and it's been responsible for the development of a lot of great crops. At one time, um, people wanted hybrids. That was the ultimate, and we got a lot of benefits from it, and they dropped uh, this terminology heirloom. Now heirlooms became popular, so they've gone back and they're featuring heirlooms various ways. Now, for me, the most intriguing thing is we've got hybrids that have an heirloom appearance. So there's now a new category of uh, kind of heirloom appearing or heirloom looking. Tomatoes is an example. There's one new introduction called Pink Delicious, which I want to give a try. That's all convoluted. The thing about a lot of heirlooms is the shapes aren't very consistent. The uh, skins are very thin. They tend to be quite prone to, to disease and later in maturity. So yields aren't really there, particularly on warm season crops this far north. So we, you know, I plant them myself personally. Both the heirlooms, I'd rather plant heirlooms. The seed is a lot less expensive, but I get a lot of good performance out of the uh, the hybrid. So now we've got different combinations. And again, uh, the buyer has to be aware. Uh, plant what's really done well for you. Be careful of your inputs if you're you're concerned certainly about some of these things. And uh, find something that really does well and performs well for you because 
great to grow an heirloom tomato, but if you can't get it to maturity this far north, <laughs> um, that doesn't benefit you much in any way either, Dave. Bob, let's see if we've got a quick uh, phone call here. Hi, who's this? Hi, my name is Tim. Hi, Tim. Hello, hey, Tim. I, I just have a question about uh, the Finland's County Extension, uh, the, the, the programs as far as uh, getting a garden spot in some of these places, like, like the one on the Arrowhead Road the big garden things. I don't know how, how would I go about and seeing if there's any availability and getting a good garden plot. Good point. You know, I would probably start with the Duluth uh, Community Garden Program. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned those spots in Arrowhead Road. I was in a younger age. I cut all that uh, timber off there and opened <laughs> that area up. And it's now at least a portion of it's managed by the um, Duluth Community Garden um, program. So we have, have a website out there, and, and there are gardens throughout the, the city area, and you could uh, certainly check with them. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. thanks for the call. Thank you. We had. It's kind of interesting. I opened uh, those plots up uh, way back when with volunteers, all of whom have uh, since deceased. And, uh, and, and at one time, we had the full where people were raising food uh, on their own, growing a lot of potatoes. We had 200 families out there. And then wow. Economic, yeah, we really did. Then we had economic times got better, and uh, the, the number of people that were involved got less and less. And now we've got this huge resurgence where there typically is a waiting line to get a plot again. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, there's a lot of interest and for folks that would like a little more space. Uh, there are community plots and a lot of uh, just about every municipality i know superior has them as well and uh, two harbors so i think that uh, checking locally with uh you know your local sources i think is a uh, is a good option so uh there are options in the community where people need a little more space to grow in for sure dave yeah 200 plots that's going to be uh, how big are the plots do you know offhand well, I think they've divided them down okay. a little bit. They were initially 20 by 20. We had wow. a pretty big, chunk of, pretty big chunk of land in there mm-hmm. that we opened up, and, and we were full. We had uh, demand for them, and this was uh, during one of our recessionary times when uh, people really were right. looking to feed their families. And uh, I'll tell you, the potatoes were the biggest crop we had, and uh, people were real big on harvesting as much as they possibly could. And, putting much in storage as they possibly could. It's changed a little bit. I think it's the quality. It's food security right now. It's uh, the diversity of things. It's not quite as much economics because the times are uh, actually, from a relative standpoint, they're much better in this area than they have been at certain times during the past. So I don't think economics is the biggest driver. The driver is really quality and good nutrition and uh, things that they can grow in food security. You know where your food's coming from. All right, Bob, we'll have a great weekend. Uh, we'll check back in with you again next Tuesday, find out what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay warm. I guess those are the big <laughs> guidelines. Uh, we'll go week to week here, Dave. Sounds good. Thanks, Bob. Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. We're at 958. We'll check out uh, the weather forecast. Uh, that's coming up next. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.